part of the mission co-op, so thank you for supporting me. You're part of the mission co-op. And so I just want to start off by just saying thank you for letting me be a part. I'm, I'm actually employed by you guys, and uh, so, so thank you for doing that. Uh, we start, uh, at any given time, we're working with uh, about 400 churches that we start all over Texas, and uh, those churches are responsible for reaching almost 20,000 people. I'm talking about 20,000 professions of faith. It was actually 19,600 and I think 70-something. But, but those people came to know Christ because we started churches. Churches just like this one. Small churches, sometimes larger churches, but, but churches always that had a beginning. And that beginning is always a little bit of a struggle. That beginning is a faith walk. It's a vision. That beginning is sometimes a little bit hard. Uh, uh, But it's always a beginning. You guys have began about four years ago. And that was the first time. And so as you, any church start, you know that you have some ups and downs, some peaks and valleys. I want to tell you, you're not different than any other church start. A matter of fact, every church start that I've ever been in, they come out of the gate real well, and then they struggle a little bit, then they catch wind again, and they, and they do even better. And that's where you're at. You're, you're getting ready to do even better. Better than you've ever done before. New vision, new direction. Look how God has shown up. He's shown up, what, you've been here, what, maybe 10 months? Something like that in this building? Wow. This is an expression of how God showed up. You're seeing that in a new church start, you're seeing that you depend more on God than you depend on anyone else. You take your little bit together and you say, you know, this is what and how far we can see. But you're part of something so much bigger than, than just that. You're part of a, a missions co-op that goes into Brazil and starts churches along the Amazon River. We just uh, uh, signed a partnership to help them start churches. They're taking some of the same processes that your pastor used here and taking them along the river and just trying to figure out with the accountability and the partnership and the help of how to, to reach into new communities that nobody's been with the gospel and start churches along the Amazon River. Now, I'm not ready to go work in the Amazon. You know, because, one, I don't like the humidity that much. You think it's humid here. I don't like the humidity that much. Oh, and there's no getting away from it. There is no air conditioning. You know, I mean, shade is the best air conditioning you get. Not for me. Okay, so I know, and I've seen because you have air conditioning here that it's not for you either. We're for here. And God has given us a challenge here. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, uh, uh, I'm just going to jump right on in because I can, when you get to Bible study and you get to Bible, I mean, you know, preaching, uh, you basically get down to just taking God's word and taking a point and I, I keep hammering it home. And so the point is going to be, I think, you're, I think they got it for me. Maybe not. Anyway, my point is God shows up. God shows up in our lives. God shows up in some miraculous way. He shows up. And the the lesson that I'm going to 
pull for us today, the story that I'm going to pull for us today is, is uh, in 2 Kings. And if you have your Bible, 2 Kings is 6th chapter. You see kind of a cool story uh, going on here. And the first part of the story is really kind of important because you know, uh, you know who Elisha has with him. Elisha has with him a bunch of preacher boys who can't chop wood. That's his resource. I mean, really they are. If you look in, in uh, uh, 2 Kings, the 6th chapter, the first verse, it says, The company of the prophets said to Elisha, Look, the place where we meet uh, with you is too small. Let us go to the Jordan where each of us can get a pole and let us build a place for us to live. So basically, these are basically seminary students, preacher boys, and they want to go, they, they say, you know, we're in this little bitty tiny place, let's go down by the Jordan where we can get trees, and let's go build us a new place. You know, they basically wanted to build their own school because they were trying to learn from, what, from Elisha and said, you know, let, let us go do that. So then he said, okay, you can do that. Verse 3, you say, uh, then one of them said, um, uh, won't you please come with your servants? So won't you come while we build this? He goes, okay, I'll come. Uh, He says, I'll come. And then uh, you see, they went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. What happened? Well, my daddy taught me how that happens. You know, I mean, my, my family home was in Uvalde, Texas. Now, we had mesquite trees. We didn't have a whole lot of trees, but we had trees. And if you are chopping wood and you miss what you are chopping and you go over the log and you hit, you hit the axe handle instead of the axe head, you can snap that. You can snap that axe head right off of there and it goes flying. And that's exactly what happened. He didn't even know how to chop wood. He, you had a young man who was probably pretty smart. He was that book smart guy, but he could not chop wood. Now, this is, I just want you to note this. And so what does he say? He says, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. It was borrowed. Now the other thing that we know is he was poor. He was a preacher boy. He wasn't even a preacher. He was just a preacher boy. He didn't have a dollar to rub together. And here back then, an axe head, an iron axe head. I mean, he's not just using a piece of rock that's been sharpened down, you know, the flint. He's using an iron axe head. Very precious tool and he loses it in the water Elisha shows up and prays and throws a stick in the water and what happens the axe head floats God showed up the point of that young young man's name now what was going to happen if if his borrowed axe head he'd go back and he'd be embarrassed he'd be shamed he'd, he'd probably have a debt for the rest of his life it'd be like It'd be like borrowing somebody's car. You know, and I, uh, if it, you don't have a car to get to work and back, and somebody says, well, I'll tell you what, you can borrow my car. 
And you take the car and you're out and you run through a stop sign and you get your car totaled. Well, didn't you know to stop? Didn't you know to pay attention? I mean, there was no defense for him losing the axe head. Why were you so close to the river when you're, well, because I didn't want to drag the log all the way up there, uh, you know. I mean, it comes down to that his negligence. He, he just didn't do what he was supposed to do, but he broke the axe head. We had no way to pay for it, and what happens is in doing that, he ends up, he ends up in trouble. Well, we do that. We do that. We end up in trouble. We end up challenged with that. And then we need God's deliverance. We need God to deliver us from that. And in this case, he showed up. Well, that not a lot of big consequence to that, but we're getting ready to see a story where Elisha gets in trouble. I mean, he really has serious trouble, and it's not because of something he did. It's just because of who he is. And you get to the next story... And, it, and it's important to realize that the only people that Elisha had with him were preacher boys like this that couldn't chop wood. And that's going to be a little bit more important when we get down into the story and we see that he has an army coming after him and who he has is preacher boys. Not only could they not handle a sword, they couldn't even chop wood. I mean, it's not really who I want having my back in a fight. I mean, you know, I, I don't really want to go to Harvard University and get me a a couple of graduates from Harvard to, to get involved in a fight. No, I, I think I want some Bubba down the street <laughs> who's been pumping some iron, and I don't care if he can't read. I just care, can you swing? You know, I mean, but no, 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 no. That's the, who he has with him is he has these little smart kids, you know, and, and that's who he has with him. So let's go into that story starting in verse 8. Now the king of Aram, was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. The man of God, which was Elisha, uh, sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, Elisha. Time and again, Elisha warned the king, so that he was on his guard in those places. This enraged the king of Aram. Now, wouldn't that make you mad? He's got a prophet. and uh, The king of Israel's got a prophet who's telling them everything that's happening. And it enraged the king of, of Aram. You know, I can't trap him. You know, we, what, what kind of group do I have here? What kind of commanders do I have? He said in verse 11, he says, He summons his officers and demanded of them, Will you tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He knew he had a traitor. He knew that he had a spy within his own generals because somebody is telling them everything that's happening. Now, you've got to remember, this isn't like in now America. You've got to remember, this is like an ancient king world, which would be what? I mean, if you... If you've ever seen Game of Thrones or whatever, you know this is a serious thing. King calls in everybody and says, somebody's going to die here. If I have to to execute every one of you, I am going to make sure that I get the person who is telling him my strategy plans. I'll replace every general here. Now, it's not like fire you. It's like permanently detach you, like 
detach you from your head. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's permanent. And he's saying, so, so these guys are thinking, what's going on? What's going on? And then, and then here's, what, here's what one of them says. He, so the king says, will you not tell which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? He's enraged. Now remember, he's saying he's enraged. I mean, he is mad. Which of, which of you is on the side of the king of Israel? In verse 12, it says, None of us, my lord, the king, said one of his officers, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Elisha already had a reputation for somebody who was connected to God. He had a reputation even among his enemies that God showed up. Wow. What kind of reputation do we have? Do we have a a reputation that in our lives God just continues to seem to show up? But Elisha had that reputation. And he said, not us. So one of them comes up and says, and he's saying, you know, they they have a prophet, Elisha. It's, It's not us trying to protect them all, trying to hold on to their heads. Verse 13. The king of Aram uh, says, go, find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. The report came back, he is in Dothan. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. He sent a strong force, horses and chariots. In today's army, that would be like tanks. In today's army, it would be like sending a bunch of tanks in. And who do you have to go against those tanks? Who does Elisha have with him? A bunch of preacher boys that can't chop wood. Doesn't even have a full army. Probably 50, 60 preacher boys who can't chop wood. He's got a bunch of academics with him, some, a bunch of readers. You know, I don't know that the guys probably in the chariots probably couldn't read. Probably weren't really all that slick and smart, but they knew how to drive a chariot and poke a pike. A pike was about 18 feet long and would ride with a chariot. And the way warfare would go on in that day and time is is an infantry could never defeat an army of chariots. Because the army of chariots, and especially if you knew Dothan, Dothan is down in a valley. It's kind of low down here in the valley and it rises up on either side, gentle rise up on either side. And so it's kind of down in this bowl. Now, can you see what's getting ready to happen? So in the hills here, it's a downhill ride. A chariot can go much faster going downhill. Horses can pull that chariot much faster going downhill. There is an army. They estimate the army was about 180,000 men. A hundred, a strong force, 180,000 men circling all up in the hills. I got my little 60, 80, 90, okay, maybe 100. Preacher boys who can't chop wood. I got 180,000 trained troops encircling, encircling the city. The way that that would work is they were, they were all on high ground. The city was in low ground. 
Now, why would you put a city on the low ground? Because water flowed there. So you put your city close to water because you didn't want to have to haul water back uphill. So, no, you placed your cities there, but he was in the city. He's not, he's not prepared for this. He's not ready for this. He's in the city. 180,000 people around him in the city. The way that would look is you would, the infantry would go out there and take up defensive positions. A chariot would come, and there was usually uh, uh, three people in the chariot in this day and time. The driver, a pikeman on one side, and a pikeman on the other side. They also had a sword, so if they lost their pike, then they had a sword. You had, you had spikes sticking out. I mean, how many of you have seen Ben-Hur? You know, I mean, you've seen this spike sticking out on the sides or some, some kind of thing to keep you from getting in too close on the sides. And then horses with, with some kind of breastplate in front of them. And so if you stood in the middle, horse would run over you. That kind of hurt. You know, having a horse run straight over you, that kind of hurt. If you jump off to the side, you got an 18-foot pole or 10-foot pole. You know, wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. You know, you have a pole with a knife on the end, and so poke, poke. If you get lucky enough that you do some kind of jogging around, you get inside, then, well, let's just pull out the sword. Just, just stick it out. Just stick out the sword and whack something off. Then the horses go through that way. So you would start like this, and chariots on the right, chariots on the left, chariots on the upside, chariots on the backside, and they would just come through like this. And then they would ride back up the hill, whoa, turn that thing around, and ride back down again until the army was gone in the middle. Chariots. There was no defense at that time. You could... Put your shield down, hunker down, like we'd say. You could hunker down, grab a root and growl if you're in football. You know, just just grab, just get down. A horse going to run clean over you. There's no defense. Get you a pike, set it up. It's going to hit that chariot and snap like a twig. No defense. Here's what happens. Verse 15. When the servant of the man got up, went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? I doubt that he said it that way. I imagine it was a whole lot more like, Oh, my Lord, what are we going to do? We're going to die. They may. He's, th- he's sitting there, he's going, he's going to Elijah because they might, they just might go to Elisha and, and capture him because he's a prophet. But what are they going to do to the little preacher boys? They're just going to make fodder of them. They're just going to bleed out. They might capture you, but they for sure will kill me. He doesn't just go, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? He's going sweating every part of his body. Oh, Lord, what are we going to do? Have you ever gotten that way in your life? You look at the circumstances in your life, you look at all that you got around you, and you go, Lord, what am I going to do? 
It's hopeless. There's no way. I have no resource. Look at my, my friends are worthless too. I've got no resource. There's no way you can show up and do this. There's absolutely nothing that I can do. There's no place. There's no, there's no step. There's no forward. There's no backwards. There's no surrender. There's, no noth- there's nothing. It's hopeless. I'm undone. Lord, what am I going to do? Have you ever felt that way? If not, you will at some point in your life. Go back to this passage if that happens. Lord, what am I going to do? What's going to happen to me? How can I feed my family? How am I going to survive tomorrow? How, how am I going to show up at work? How am I going to, how am I going to, how am I going to, how is it going to work? If you haven't been there, you're just not old enough yet. It happens to all of us. That's why God reminded us by letting us have this in this story, in, in his word. I love what Elisha said in verse 16. As a matter of fact, verse 16 is the one that I circled in red. You probably can't see it. I circled it in red. Because the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. What? You've got to be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Don't be afraid. Okay, I can just see him. I can just see him. Elijah, come here. Come here. Look. 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 Look at us. Look. Don't be afraid. Elijah's first response is, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Oh, You've got to be kidding me. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. It'd be like saying to you guys right here, those who are with us here at Impact are more than those who are with them in Corpus Christi. And you're going, you are a nut. You're a nut. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Well, how are we going to reach Corpus Christi? How are we going to do it? Look at us. How are we going to do it? There's just a few dozen of us. How are we going to reach Corpus Christi? How are we going to do it? We can't do it. There's just us. What would you say? There's two million Baptists in Texas standing behind you. Yes, you can do it. You can do it, but what what was it that they needed here? That he needed that young servant needed to see what Elisha saw. That's why your pastor had me come. He wanted you to see the resources of Texas Baptist. We're behind you. We're with you. You're not alone. You don't stand here by yourself. You're part of something bigger than you are. Don't be afraid. The prophet answered, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And here's what Elisha did. Elisha prayed. And here was Elisha's prayer. I love short prayers. I wish I could pray short, but I guess if God showed up in my short prayers, like he showed up in Elisha's short prayers, or Jesus' short prayers, or Paul's short prayers, 
No. I have the long ones that God doesn't show up in usually, but the short ones that he does is like this. Oh, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked, and he saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Boy, that changes your perspective real fast, doesn't it? Now it's, okay, I'm ready for this battle. I got this one covered. I can do this battle. This battle is, okay, we just going to step back over here. And you guys who think you have the high ground, right behind you is angels of fire in their little chariots of fire. And you can't stand because... I want to see this. I want to see. I can just see that young man all of a sudden going, okay, I got this. Now I can see. Going, come on, come on, bring it. Because we, I know what's going to be the conclusion. One angel could handle 10,000 chariots. One angel could handle the chariots. All of them. Poof. God shows up and... The God who spoke and everything that is exists. He spoke everything. In, I mean, okay, once you get perspective, when God shows up, ain't, ain't nothing a big deal. It's not a big deal. You had chariots of iron. Okay, bring them. We got chariots of fire behind that. So we're just going to sit here and go, nah, 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 nah. I'm just going to go, nah, 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 nah. I can just see him going, come on. You know, tempt you, come on. But what happens? It's such a God thing that happens. So once the young man's eyes were open, now he's full of faith because he has the knowledge that, hey, we win. It's just not that we win on the other side. We win on this side. <sighs> okay. As the enemy came down toward him, Elisha prayed, <laughs> See, I mean, you're all about Elisha praying and helping us out. Lord, what are we going to do? Until now he's going to pray and what? Strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elisha has asked. (coughs) (coughs) I'm cheated out of a good war. I'm cheated out of a battle of seeing angels of fire take on these angels of iron i mean are these men of iron i i I don't get to see the judgment of god come down on these people (laughs) just not fair isn't that the way that we treat each other sometimes somebody is broken and mean and they deserve every ounce of whatever they get and then we go (laughs) they just come in accept jesus And God just shows them grace, just like he showed me. (laughs) Not fair. It's just not fair. They should have to suffer. (laughs) No, that's not who we are. Elisha prays and shows grace because he could have prayed and the angels would have come to his defense. Jesus, Jesus prayed. Not my will, but thine be done in the garden. 
so that we could come to know him as our personal Lord and Savior. He came to take care of the sin problem. Him who was without sin paid for our sin. He says, all you have to do is accept me. No matter how bad, how horrible, how terrible you were, grace. It's unmerited, just like what you said at the beginning. It's unmerited. Can't earn it. It's too big to earn. I don't deserve it. I'm too bad to deserve it. It just is. Just like Elisha shows up here and says, strike these people with blindness. Then I think it's kind of cool what Elisha did is he told them this is not the place, this is not the road, this is not the city. Follow me and I'll lead you. Now, really? Oh, here, follow me, I'll lead you to the city. You guys just got kind of confused. And they go, oh, okay, yeah. 180,000 people just go, okay, we'll, we'll follow you. And then he took them and led them into Samaria, which is where the king was. And after they entered the city, Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes that they can see. These men can see again. Huh? Well, we got like all of our cherries pared down. We got like, yeah, I mean, we're all tucked away. I mean, I, my pike is put away. My spears, everything is put away. And now I've got all these soldiers around me and... I am a surrendered army, 180,000 men and no bloodshed, captured 180,000. After they entered the city, Elisha said, open their eyes that they can see so the men can see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they looked and there, there they were inside Samaria. When the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, shall I? Shall I kill them, my father? Shall I kill them? It's kind of like this. They have been a thorn in my side. Can I kill them? <laughs> Please let me kill them. And don't we do the same thing? We've been at war. We've been, because remember, our war is, is, is not with people, but with but Satan. Our war is with the power of the air, not with people. And yet we go, can I kill his people? Can I? They, he, they've been serving him. Can I take them out? No. No, God did not show up, show you grace, and show them grace for you now to judge them and take them out. He said, no. Would you kill someone that you had captured yourself with because God gave them to you? You don't kill them. What do you do? Do not kill him, he answered, verse 22. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink. And then they can go back to their master. Did he say they had to become Israelites? No. Did he say that they had to become Christ followers? No. Just minister to them, love them up. And they did. They, they basically had a feast. They set food before them and fed them and they ate and they drank and they sent them back. So he prepared, look at uh, verse 23, and they prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away. They returned to their masters. So the bands from Aram 
Stop raiding the Israel's, Israelites' territory. God showed up, took care of the base problem. Didn't do it exactly the way I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the fireworks, but he took care of it in a more, more gracious way, in a more permanent way. God showed up with some water, some food. He showed up in a feast. He showed up in ministry. Church, that's what we do. Regardless of how many people knock us down, we get up and we minister again. And knock us down, we get up, we minister again. Because we're dependent on God to show up. One last point that I want to make, you're saying, please, will this sermon ever end? One last point that I want to make is, go back over to 16. Remember the one that I circled in red? It sounds very similar to another passage. 1 John 4.4 4 is directly connected to uh, 2 Kings 6.16. You'll want to make this connection because... because when 1 John 4.4 4 was written, John had the understanding. He knew this passage. He knew this story, so he's linking the two together. Remember, it said, don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Where have you heard something like that? Turn over, turn over to 1 John 4.4. 4. You, dear children, are from God. And have overcome them. Because the one who is in you is greater than the, than the one, the one, the one world. There's a difference, but it's the same. The Holy Spirit of God never has changed. Same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. The Holy Spirit of God is the same power of God is the same. Doesn't change. In in 2 Kings, Elisha, full of the Spirit, same Holy Spirit that you have if you've given your life to Christ, same Spirit of God, full of the Spirit could see with faith God at work. For greater are those who are with us than those who are with them. The Spirit of God was with Elisha. The Spirit of God now indwells you because of Jesus. In you. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. What was for a nation is now for an individual. What was for a community is now for a person. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. How much greater strength do we have now, and yet we are blind to see it? Lord, open our eyes that we can see into the world of faith. For your provision is there, waiting. You're waiting to handle the problems of our, our lives, to handle the challenges of our lives. You're waiting. What do you want me to do? We never pray that second part. 
where Elisha prayed, he said, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. But then Elisha prayed, take care of the situation. Blind these people that they can't. And showed up in grace. We never carry that faith. We have the ability to see. We just stay blind to God's provision. So when it gets tough in my life, when it gets tough in your life, when it gets tough in my church, when it gets tough in your church, what we need to be doing is, Lord, open my eyes to opportunity to show up with grace. When it gets the hardest in my life, how can I be gracious? Not how can I be vindictive? Lord, open a path that opens graciousness up in my life. Lord, show up. I need to see you. Open my eyes. If you don't know Jesus, that's the first step. Because Jesus is our approach to the Holy Spirit, the power of God. Because without him, we're separated from God because of our our sin nature. But with Jesus, He says, I take care of that. Let me give you an example. I mean, several of you had coffee here this morning, and I did too. Whose coffee is it when it's in the pot? It's anybody's coffee. Whose coffee is it when it's in my cup? It magically became anybody's coffee to becoming my coffee. What's the difference of the coffee that's in the pot and the coffee that's in my cup? No difference. It's black. It's bitter, depending on how you made it. I mean, it's, it, it's black. It's, it's mine. And then what do I choose to do with that cup of coffee? Now, I choose to do nothing, but I saw a lot of you putting a bowl of sugar in it and then a whole bunch of creamer in it, you know, and stirring it up. And you may put a little nutmeg on there. You may put a little cinnamon. You, you know, I mean, you do all kinds of things to your coffee. But why is that okay? Now, you'll see us all come unglued. You go do it in the whole pot. But, but you do that to your coffee because it's yours. When you pour your life into Christ, you've poured your life into his cup. And Jesus does what he wants to with you because you're his. He says, okay, I'm going to add this. You're a little bitter. I'm going to have to put some sugar in there. You know? You're a little too strong. I'm going to put some creamer. No, maybe a little bit more creamer. Maybe a whole lot more creamer. You know, and so I'm going to put a whole lot more in there. And you end up with this blonde coffee. And, you know, you go, okay, that's a good cup of coffee. Well, it's because the one whose it is has declared it good. Jesus, when you pour your life into his... He declares you good, and nobody can stand against that. Don't be touching my coffee. Once I've dressed it up, I mean, I don't know how many waitresses I've said, "Eh, eh, 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 eh." it's just right. Eh, Leave it alone. It's just no no refill. Leave it alone. It's just my coffee's just right. How many times have you done that? That is a good cup of coffee. It's your coffee. Fixed your way. That's what Jesus does to our life, but... In the pot, it's not Jesus's until it's poured into the cup. Then he can do with it what he wants. He, he may even say, hey, you want a good cup of coffee? 
and give it to someone else. He says, here, I want you to try this. This is what you want to be. Oh, I want to be that example of a cup of coffee. Oh, hey, this is a good cup of coffee. You want to, this is what you want to be. That's what I want to be in Christ. But he, but he comes and he, and, he, and he redeems me and I become his. And nobody can judge that coffee but him because it's his. It's his. Nobody can judge me but Jesus because I'm his. And he declares me good. And because he declares me good, I am good. And nothing can stand against that. And then he says, go. Go. He can pour me out. He can keep me. He can set me on the shelf and say, you're going to be my iced coffee. He can, he can do whatever it is that he wants to with me. Because I'm his and oh, I'm declared good. Same thing happens in your life. You're declared good by Jesus. If you haven't given your life to Jesus, do it. Do it. So that then you can open and see with eyes of faith the unseen world of faith. It's just as real as the chariots of iron. The stuff, the circumstances that hit your life. It's just as real. But you won't believe that till you know Jesus first. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for these men and women. I just thank you for the opportunity to be here. And Father, just, just open their eyes that they can see your hand moving in their lives through all that they do this week. Or Father, if there's someone who doesn't know you, just open their eyes that they would give their lives to you and realize they don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be anything but in, in your cup. Just be called yours. They do that with an act of faith. Saying, Lord, I'm just going to trust you. Trust you to be all that I need. And to repair my life, to fix my life, to, to make me what you want it to be. Father, it's so easy to give our lives to you, but it's so, so hard to continue to stay humble and yielded to you where we can just live that way with eyes wide open. Father, let us lean toward you. Let us remember you. Let us never forget you. Let us go forward and be found good in your eyes. Let us be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.